Welcome to this week's NL Full Time. I'm Luke Edwards. Thanks once again for listening to us. Uh, as always, we've got Tom Lang. Hello, Tom. You all right, Luke? Hi, everyone. Good. A sort of bookcase in the background, but uh, not many books. It's a DVD case. Oh, there we go. And we've got Rob Laurel, who's uh, got a very nice scene. He's in his back garden, by the looks of it. Hello, Rob. Yeah, hi, Luke. Hi, everyone. And uh, I'm going to do you a massive favour, Luke, and not talk about your background. Well, that is the, it's a fixed one. It's one you get on the... No, it's not. It's a nice flowery wallpaper. <laughs> and we've got our special guest this week, a current Wheelstone striker and can name Sutton, Eastley, all the shot amongst his former clubs. It's Ross Lafayette. Hello, Ross. Morning, chaps. How are we doing? Uh, morning, everyone. Good stuff. Yeah, good. Really good. Obviously, we've got Ross with you this season and, and Wheelstone flying this year. Now, the way it's looking, we're going to chat about this later on. League 2 have voted against relegation. Barrow may well get the one spot into the Football League, which leaves a spot in the National League. And currently, Wheelstone are the best place on sort of points per game. So, uh, you could well be promoted in a couple of weeks, Ross. Hopefully. I think um, if everything was going to go to plan, you know, well, I mean, what can you do? I think given the top 50 reasons why a season wouldn't go ahead, I'm sure you wouldn't get anywhere near a global pandemic. But... Um, <laughs> We're here, right? So, um, yeah, it's been difficult, um, you know, spoke to the chairman, management and stuff to kind of get some sort of inkling. But, yeah, we're hoping that that's the case. And we've had a great season and hopefully we get that reward. Um, but, yeah, we feel we, we deserve them at this moment in time. Absolutely. And, and personally for you, it's been a good season as well, hasn't it, at Wheelstone? Yeah, it's been great. Like, I've, um, I, I knew the management team um, beforehand. Um, it's local to me as well. Um, and, you know, um, they invested really well. Um, this, this squad was relatively small at the start of the season, but we got some you know, some great players in and we've gone from strength to strength, really. It's been a really good like collective unit and um been an absolute pleasure to play in, um, I think, for, you know, throughout the whole season. And you're seeing it on the pitch, you know, it, there's been times where, you know, lads have stepped up to the plate and made the difference throughout. And it's been, um, yeah, great to be a part of, really. I mean, you, ha- you have got one of the, probably one of the biggest squads in National League South. Um, but there's been a few guys who've been pretty much consistent throughout, the likes of yourself, um, Connor Stevens, Michi Afeti uh, has had a yeah, fantastic yeah. season, and Jerome Akimo. Do you think yeah, that sort yeah. of consistency from a few experienced heads has been quite important with all the change that's gone on around you? Yeah, I think I guess the reality is we've been fortunate that our spine of our team has been, you know, healthy throughout. I think I don't even think Skip's missed. The, well, actually, Skip has missed the game. He got his tooth knocked out. <laughs> Um, but apart from that, you know, the team's been relatively healthy. Um, yeah, we, we've had obviously had um, you know, players come in throughout, but I think the nucleus of the team when we started our run was like he's exactly what you, you mentioned. We've had the same team pretty much there and thereabouts. Um, and that's that's a good stead, really. Um, so obviously, I, I watch a lot of well, nothing obvious about it, but I watch a lot of uh, National League South. It's the league I probably see the most of. Um, and myself and a lot of observers were looking at having the Waterlooville really as the team to beat this season. Um, mm-hmm. The strength of their squad, the experience of Paul Doswell, uh, you know, he brought in a lot of your former teammates from Sutton over the summer. Yeah. But the pace that you guys came out of the blocks with, um, I think you had something like 10 wins in 12 games to start the season. Yeah. It was absolutely ridiculous. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was a great start and, yeah, no one says that, yeah, well, when I was joining and speaking to to Dean and, and you know Chairman Roy and stuff, it was kind of like not really here to make the numbers up. You know, promotion is the goal. 
Um, and I think that ambition kind of struck, struck a chord with the team um, because I think a lot of players that may have dropped down the level will could clearly play higher, you know, likes of Billy Clifford, likes of Skip, likes of Connor Stevens, Denon, etc. Um, and I think, you know, we all bought into that project and thankfully we all clicked um, and we did really blow people out, out of the water um, at the start of the season. And you know, that we managed to maintain that. You know, we've had dips, of course, but yeah, it's been good. Um, it's been a good start to the season. But um, yeah, just say 10 out of 12, you snap somebody's hand off, right? <laughs> <laughs> nice one. It's a good start, Ross. And um, uh, interesting to see you go to Wilston because um, you know, I'll cover a tricky subject here, but um, it might have been perceived by some people in the past that some of your transfers, some of, you, you've gone to the clubs where they've possibly had a bit of money at the right time. But actually, it was the other way around at Wilston, wasn't it? They they actually had budget cuts um, coming into this season based on last year. So that makes the achievement even better. But uh, just from your own point of view, because the boys were discussing this the other day, um, if any of us were offered a little bit more money to go and do what we do somewhere else, we'd take it. Why do footballers get so much stick for that? I'm not too sure. I, I, I always find it quite interesting that the first thing players are kind of described on is their salary rather mm-hmm. than their ability. It's a tricky subject, um, but I guess it's the reality of, of the society we live in that it's money always is the interest of what players do rather than um, what they do on the pitch, I guess. You can only get, you know, and also if, you know, if someone says to you, we're going to double your money for doing the thing that you love, um, and there's a project that's ambitious, you know, what, what are you going to do? <laughs> exactly, why, why, wouldn't, why wouldn't you take it? Just looking at um, your career until now, yeah. uh, when you started out, obviously you're hoping to make it in pro football, semi-pro football. Did you think back then that you might end up playing for as many clubs as you have? Um, obviously, things change so quickly in football, don't they? Managers come, go, budgets get increased, decreased. Um, how, how do you sort of uh, look back at that time? And do you think you did you think you'd ever play for so many clubs? Um, probably not. No, <laughs> um, but also I've not really I've always wanted to play where, play, where places wanted wanted me really um, it's not really been me wanting to move for money it's more about you know I was unfortunate with a couple of moves um, that obviously didn't work out for various reasons um, you know I think Welling was you know a highlight of my career and you know I, I moved there down to the fact that I could have had the well, realised an opportunity to actually make it pro something I've always wanted to do and join Luton um, and, you know, make the step up and test myself. And, you know, getting there didn't really obviously pan out. Um, then equally, when I moved to Eastleigh, um, I think it was six, seven or eight games, Richard Hill decided to, to what, what do you do? <laughs> it's another fresh yeah. idea to come in and, you know, I didn't fit the picture. So that's, you know, ultimately two moves, which you couldn't, you know, didn't expect. Um, but that's the nature of the game. You know, I'm not really, you know, I just want to play football, enjoy it and, you know, do my best every time I step on the pitch. Um, one of the things, um, obviously, Rob talks about your career and, and your, your transition through the game. Um, mm-hmm. We've seen a lot of players, particularly over recent years, go to the Football League from the National Leagues. Um, but most of the players who have, have, you know, the Jamie Vardy syndrome, they've started out in professional academies, dropped out of the professional system, then come up. Um, yep. Now, I obviously don't know where you're playing when you're 11 or 12 years old, but Wikipedia sort of suggests your first club was Chesham United. Um, and that, that would make you one of the rarer examples of a player who's been what I'd call a traditional long league player. 
but then yeah. at the age of 28, got a move to the national to uh, the football league with Luton. Um, yeah. I'm just interested to know, like, what sort of strengths do you think that slightly different grounding has given you to your game? But also, do you think it's um, it's held you back in any way? I wasn't part of a part of an academy growing up, so yeah, it was kind of just playing and feeling it as I play, sort of thing. Um, I guess there's like two double-edged sword. You kind of a bit more, I guess, raw, a bit more natural um, to just kind of doing what you do on the pitch. But then at the same time, you can obviously benefit from coaching, which I didn't get at a younger age. But I mean, yeah, I think it's probably a bit, a bit more of a fearlessness into my thinking. Um, and, and maybe that's why I've moved so many clubs. It's not as, uh, you know, um, it's non-league, isn't it? You know, before I was playing for like 50 quid a week, or whatever, you know, mm. just enjoying football. Um, that's That's kind of it, really, you know. And uh, Ross, when you were at Eastleigh, you mentioned uh, uh, Richard Hill left fairly early on. I think I'm right in in saying that that's uh, the point at which you came on loan to uh, to Aldershot, and uh, a very different scenario you came into there. It was it was more of a battle, more of a a struggle, uh, also under a new manager. Uh, um, how did you enjoy uh, your time at Aldershot? Strangely, I really enjoyed it. It was kind of you know. You knew kind of what you were going into. I think sometimes when you're kind of teams can be coasting or picking through a season, there's nothing really, you know, a game's a game, of course. But there was so much relying on every training session. Um, and to be fair, like the size of the club, the calibre of player we had actually at that, that point, there were actually a good good kind of team spirit. I think maybe looking at teams where I've been successful, there was a lack of um, self-belief within the team. Um, and I think that really kind of as soon as anything kind of got a bit tricky on the pitch you could see that um, but yeah I enjoyed my time down there um, you know um, rather obviously been a bit more successful down there but you know ultimately I, I did enjoy it it was a great set of fans and a yeah, fantastic club From uh, for the listeners benefit my memories of Ross when uh, he was at Aldershot um, terrific hold up player really really good um, I think Ross, you'd be the first to admit you'd like to have, have, have scored more goals in your, your time at Aldershot. But uh, it's a difficult and a challenging season anyway under under Barry Smith, who'd just come down from Scotland. Um, and uh, one of the more painful memories I have to live with is uh, a horrendous 8-2 defeat at Chester, for which everybody connected with Aldershot got a lot of stick. And, and the old pun about I'd hate to be an Aldershot fan come out. But something happened in the game that day. I mean, I, I think I'm right in saying it was like two all at one point after, uh, after, after like 20 minutes uh, or so. Uh, and Ross, you scored an outstanding goal. Two questions. One. Was that the best goal you scored in your career, or have you betted it? Uh, and two, just tell us about that goal as you remember it. Yeah, it was, it was a nice goal. Um, it's definitely out there. Funny enough, I've kind of blanked that match out of my mind. <laughs> Obvious <laughs> um, Yeah, so I'll be fair, I probably need to jump on YouTube and watch it back and um, see the goal again, because I've kind of blanked out that much. But um, yeah, definitely one up there. Um, I think probably the one at Sutton um, against Wrexham. I think sticks out and probably one of my first goals for Welling was one of my favourite goals that kind of really was my catalyst to really kick on in my career. Um, but yeah, it was a, a very tough game to say the least. To, to be, I felt like we started really well, but really sharp. It was like conceded two sloppy goals and suddenly I think it was what, 6-2 or something stupid like that at half-time or 5 Half-time, two. Two, yeah. Yeah, it was mental. It was just shell shot. The changing room, just, yeah, one of the hardest... Well, my surreal change of a moment in my career. 
Yeah, sorry to bring it back. Just yeah. a, an amusing story for the uh, for the listeners. I, I wasn't commentating uh, back then, but I was often summarising alongside the commentator uh, for BBC Surrey Sport, Gav Dennison. And I have to say, that was the most interactive commentary we ever did. We were absolutely blown away with messages coming in from Aldershot fans who sort of gathered, really, and, and, and some gallows humour came out. This was going on through the second half. People were sharing stories about the biggest defeat they'd ever suffered in football. Somebody came in with a story about how he'd scored a first-minute penalty for his side once, but they went, to, went on to lose 18-1. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it was just quite staggering. And, uh, of course, we will move on now, but... Uh, thank you for sharing. <laughs> yeah. for, uh, You're opening up all uh, wounds here for him, Rob. Shut up. <laughs> yeah, no. It's, it, it, it's, the thing is, though, the point is, and I, I said this briefly to, to Ross off air before we started, that goal never gets talked about because it gets lost amongst. In fact, the other goal, the other Aldershot goal that day was very, very good as well. They were two yeah. outs. They would have been alone in their competition for the best goal of the season. Um but they came in an 8-2 defeat. Let's I move on. We have to uh, we have to counsel Rob every week, Ross. So don't worry about it. He comes on and he talks to us, and then we have to we have to reassure him every week. <laughs> um, I just wanted to ask, really, Ross. Uh, well, a couple of questions. First of all, obviously, you, in the National League, you tended to play for teams who were are underdogs. You know, maybe weren't fancied like your Wellings, your Suttons, teams like that. But um, then you got your big move to Luton, didn't you? Just tell us a bit more about that. Yeah, it was. Um, I had two great years at Welling, um, and I was in the process of actually signing a, a new deal um, with Welling. Um, essentially, I was pretty much, you know, just kind of everything was kind of pretty much there and, and agreed. Um, and then I got a, like a last minute call uh, from Luton, um, and it was kind of like, look, it's, you know, an opportunity, two year deal, um, be pro full time, huge club great fan base um, and it was something that you know I've always wanted to do and really wanted to test myself um, at doing and that's kind of how it came back out like kind of pretty quickly and then the next thing I um, was kind of had to quit my job I just start, started a new job <laughs> at Channel 5 um, wow. so that lasted probably a space of like three weeks <laughs> um, so it was kind big of big brother was it Ross? <laughs> no no funny enough no funny enough um, but yeah so that was kind of a bit surreal um, and then obviously moved to Luton and working under John Steele and you know as as a man is you know he's a good guy um as a manager I I didn't really benefit from playing underneath him um found it really really tough um and just kind of I guess his motivations and stuff and kind of how how he was trying to coach me and you know to join a a team that suddenly you mentioned earlier Tom's squad size I think it was we had about 37 players that season um so I didn't really get a bunch of a run and had a couple of injuries but yeah, it wasn't severe. I think I, I did actually enjoy it because there was a lot of things in football I learned and maybe probably a better player from. Um, and kind of, um, yes, yeah, I can always say I made, made, went pro. Yeah, frustratingly, I didn't get the game time, but yeah, it is what it is. Interesting shit about John Still because there's a bit of there's been a bit of criticism about Barnett when he went there and he signed about 40 odd players and he seems to like working with big squads really. And that, for players like you when they're signing, it must be so hard to try and get a place in that team then. Yeah, I mean, yeah, to be frank, like it was kind of a discussion about who I would be kind of um, replacing. Obviously, they just lost Andre Gray that year. Big name, obviously, fantastic player. Um, and not to be replacing him, but as a target man for somebody like a, another Dre. Um, 
and it was kind of like great you know I can I can do that I know my strengths that's something I can do um and I signed and I think there was me Alex Wall and I think Mark Cullen was the three strikers going into that season I signed and within a week we'd had another four other strikers sign wow uh, you know me Ricky, uh, it was Ricky Miller Charlie Walker um obviously Paul Benson was there then as well um <clears throat> It was like eight strikers um, for two spots. So, yeah, maybe, maybe in retrospect, I made a mistake. But swimming yeah, uphill, aren't you? Really, in that sense. So, but I guess you know you got to prove that why you got to be that striker. So there's no excuses. Um, you know, my part. You, know, you may look at it and go, "There's too many," but you know that's what I mean. In retrospect, it done me well to kind of, no matter how many people are there, you just got to take that place, and that's that's kind of football. That that's maybe what I didn't have from not being at a pro club before. It, Interestingly, um, Luton's probably the only sort of north club you've played for. Did you have any offers kind of move further north, go full-time? Because you, you've, you've basically spent your time in and around London, obviously down at Eastleigh near Southampton. And as I say, Luton's probably the furthest north you've gone. No, I mean, I, I think um, it just kind of, nothing really came. Maybe it's, like you say, um, perhaps a name um, wasn't strong enough up north and um, that kind of didn't really materialise. You know, Would you uh, have gone there? If the opportunity arose, would you have gone? Or? Yeah, potentially. I mean, look, it's the opportunity, right? Um, it has to be right for everyone. My wife's from Nottingham. Um, my family's always joked if I could have gone and signed for like Notts Forest or Notts County. Um, I think at the time of playing in maybe League One, Forest in the Championship still. Um, we're wishful thinking. But, you know, yeah, I think if um, something had come up and I would have maybe looked at the opportunity and see kind of the project and what they wanted to do. Um, but, yeah, I mean... Fortunately enough, I've probably played for the probably yeah, the biggest teams down south. Um, so, yeah, I can't complain. Um, you've, yeah, you, you mentioned about the fact that you were working at um, Channel 5, and I know um, you were at the Evening Standard before that as well. Yep. How much do your football decisions have to be based around what the work opportunities are? You know, you're, you're clearly quite career-focused in your, in your job away from football as well. So mm-hmm. how, how do you balance those two decisions? I mean, it's like every footballer. Everything comes down to career decisions, um, whether it's work or, or football. Um, I've been fortunate enough to, you know, um, be able to do both. Probably that's why I probably had more clubs down south. Um, just down to the fact of work. It's purely down to money, but you know, you have to live. You have to be able to provide for your family um, as well as do what you want to do. Um, you know, that's what I've always had to kind of take into consideration. Um, but yeah, that's probably why I've probably stayed quite local, I guess, in retrospect, um, just because of that. Works, I guess, important. It's going to be here afterwards. You know, we're going to retire, unfortunately. Um, I'd love to play until you know, I'm 40 or whatever, but the reality is probably won't happen. <laughs> but um, yeah, other challenges in life. But yeah, work's been a bit big part. And balancing that's been tough. Yeah, I mean, you if you play. do play for 40, um, we'll talk about him later, but you'll have to get agreement from Moses Emmanuel that you can still keep playing for the same club. Yeah, well, Moses is definitely 40. So uh, <laughs> it's never, it's always at the same, bless him. But um, yeah, what, what a guy, what a player. <laughs> we'll, 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 we'll come on to Moses in a bit because we're going to talk about um, your, you know, the best, the best team of players, if you like, that you've played with or against over your time at the upper end of, uh, of non-league football uh, and, of course, with Luton. Um, I just want to flip back briefly before that, if we can, just to the managers. You mentioned that John still perhaps didn't get the best out of you and, and, and perhaps understandable as well in the circumstances. 
Can we flip that the other way, Ross? I know you will say that you've played for some good managers, but uh, is there a manager that sticks out that, that, that probably really has, has, has got the absolute best out of you? Yeah, I think, I mean, it's clear to see really Jamie Day for me. Um, you know, it was a catalyst um, of giving me that self-belief because when I joined, when I joined Welling, I was in trial that summer. Um, and I think even when I going into pre-season, um, I'd had a good couple of games and signed up on the back of that. Um, and the way he just kind of, for me personally, the team, he kind of gave us that freedom, that self-belief. Um, he was still playing centre-mid at the time. Um, you know, well-respected, been at Arsenal. Um, he just had great knowledge, um, but also knew when to, you know, give you a dressing down, um, put his arm around you. Uh, but it was all done in the right way. Um, it wasn't kind of... Um, you know, flippant kind of just we need to shout because we're losing it was kind of how can we get back into this game and yeah obviously won the league and had a great season in the conference as well after that um, I think we at one point we were in the playoffs for quite a while um, you know, little old Welling doing quite well um, yeah he was just an awesome guy <coughs> awesome team and um, yeah by far like for me um, the best manager I've had like I say really spurred me on to kick on in football Brilliant answer, Ross. Great, great to great to hear a player not trying to sort of you know spread it all around and show a bit of love to everybody. Like no, bang! It was Jamie Day. I like that. Nice one. <laughs> uh, I think we're going to have a little quiz between you and Ross later, but we did ask Ooh. him to. Um, <laughs> he's got a lot to live up to. <laughs> um, Definitely not as you, Rob. <laughs> <laughs> Rob beat Callum Reynolds the other week, so he was quite. Yeah. <laughs> Alan um, did not he did not like that he doesn't take defeat very well Cal knows his stuff as well to be fair to him he does um, he, I think I just got lucky with the questions anyway go Luke sorry yeah I was just Rob was just going to say we asked Rob, um, Ross even not Rob Rob can put his best 11 together another time um, <laughs> we asked Ross to put together his best 11 of, of players he's played with or against so um, he's going to give us that now I think yeah of course um, so in goal um Mark Tyler at Luton. Um, he was probably, they played with some great keepers, but he was just um, coming to the ball at the end of his career. I think he was like 36 from the time I joined Luton. But his professionalism, his shot stopping, the way he commanded things, um, and obviously in training, you know, got a lot of time shooting against him. Um, he was phenomenal. Um, just, yeah, good guy as well. Um, kind of really commanded everything. Um, very OCD. I think he had about six or seven gloves every session. Bless him. Um, but yeah, he's a good guy. Great keeper. Shame he didn't have six or seven hands, eh? That's it. That's <laughs> it. Sometimes it felt like that in training. Jesus, it's my head. <laughs> so, I've just, uh, I was Googling Mark Tyler a little bit in preparation for this. And it turns out he starred in a 1997 Canadian horror movie. No way. Cannibal, cannibal, what's it? Cannibal Roller Babes. <laughs> So worth, worth that doesn't that. sound like a horror movie, Tom. That sounds like something you'd watch. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Get out of Netflix. Um, yeah. <laughs> and then uh, right back, I think this this year, um, I think he's been awesome. But Michi, um, especially, I played him a little bit at Billericay. Uh, um, that he's he's laid back, um, but my God, the guy's got some talent. I think if he can like um, harness. Um, kind of really focus on his football. I mean, yeah, he won't be at Conference South. Um, yeah, hopefully, obviously, we get promoted, but you know, he could be easily be a League Two player, um, League One player, comfortably. Um, I think he's just been 
his athleticism, what he provides. Um, I mean, he can really like kick on. Um, and he's still relatively young, even though we laugh at his fake passport shout. But um, yeah, Michi's been, been awesome. <laughs> <laughs> um, at left back, again, um, he didn't really play that much because he was injured. But Callum Kennedy, um, obviously, he played higher, been in like playoff finals. And technically, for me, the best left back I've played with, um, you know, he wouldn't even look, need to look at you sometimes. He'd just reverse it straight into your feet or into your chest. Um, and I think, you know, that sort of that quality, um, you know, being in the conference south of Bidiriki, um, like I said, it was only a few games, but he was, he was awesome. And then centre-back, um, I've gone for Fraser Franks. Um, and when I joined Welling, um, we were, you know, in the car school, both living quite close, same birthdays, but, yeah, he was a young, young um, pro coming into the non-league game, and my God, what a player! Like, um, just could either foot could clip it, commanding. He was young at the time, but it seemed like he was, you know, late thirties. Um, and yeah, he was just an awesome like um, pro and all-round great guy. And obviously, unfortunately, um, had to retire recently with with obviously a heart issue um, when he was at Newport. But you know, he's obviously progressing into other other channels in, in football, which is great to see. Um, and yeah, he's he was just an awesome player, like um, quality. And um, alongside him, I put Jamie Turley. Um, and I absolutely hated playing against him. Hated it. And then um, thankfully, I got to play with him at Eastleigh. Um, but yeah, he is an absolute bear, as he's known. And he just, he's physical, he's strong, he's quick. He can play a bit. Um, and yeah, I hated it. Like he'd headbutt the back of your head. Like just... Smashy is the worst, but yeah, thankfully got to play with him a bit. And he's just them two together, like be just a beast. And as a striker, Ross, psychologically, when you see him in the tunnel, you think, "Oh God, not him again." Does that almost give him the advantage already? Are you thinking, "I'm going to have a tough day. I'm not going to score." Um, well, he'll never know that, but I never think that. To be fair, I always used to think, you know, uh, I always felt that I was stronger than everyone. Um, even with tells, I'm probably not. <laughs> um, He's an absolute rhino, but um, yeah, you just kind of have to give that yourself that self-belief um, and just kind of really, otherwise you're just never going to perform, right? Um, but yeah, it was always, you knew it was in a tough battle with Tells, but I used to relish it. Uh, but I used to wind him up, so um, it was good. Um, and then, yeah, kind of, I was playing a 4-4-3, I should have probably said that, but um, Andy Drury has um, holding mid. Um, like, technically, um, where he reads the game, he could probably play higher up, but I just think it just the distribution of the guy, where he reads it, he breaks, like, not really known for his tackling, but um, yeah, he's all round kind of decision making. Technically, either foot. Um, when I was at Luton, I first played of him. He was ridiculous, um, and I played him again at Eastleigh, and he just he was the best like there as well. Great sense of humour, um, super dry, um, but yeah, all round like top lad and great player. Um, and then in front of them, in front of him, I had Craig Eastman. Um, Eastleigh probably doesn't get like the recognition he probably deserves, um, and definitely could be like. Easily a league player, probably still right now. He could, you know, make that transition for sure. Um, but yeah, box the box midfielder, aggressive, chirpy, technically great, can score every now and then. Um, longest neck I've ever seen, but <laughs> he's a <laughs> great player. Um, yeah, just like endless energy, like great humor, great to be around, um, and like a top lad. Um, alongside him, like Billy Clifford. Um, obviously, with him at the, um, the moment at Wildstone, um, as well as him before, um, a couple of other teams as well. But technically, it's like so sound, um, you know, great creative minds, good lad. Again, should be playing higher in my eyes. Um, I think he's got kind of everything there. 
um, in his armory. Um, and hopefully, obviously, we realise that with Wildstone. But yeah, I think he's he's an awesome player and it basically spurred us on this year um, when things got a bit tricky. Um, so yeah, so right wing forward, um, I'd say Joe Healy. Um, probably, like I say, the most enigmatic player I've played with. Um, unbelievably technically. Um, kind of, you know, we'd finish a game and he'd get a bottle of red wine out and just chill and just like so relaxed. One of the most fittest, technically, just pinging half volleys. Um, we scored against Dover, and I think he scored one from 25 yards on the sprint, half volley, left foot. It's just clean as you can strike it. But um, yeah, great technical player. Um, and then the other side would have uh, <coughs> Ricky Miller um, at Dover. Um, that season, he was unplayable. Like, everything that dropped to him, he'd just shoot anyway. But he was just like, energy, his work ethic off the pitch was fantastic. Um, you know, scored some fantastic goals that, you know, but ultimately, you know, pushed us up the table. Um, and yeah, he was just phenomenal that that season, um, playing alongside him. Got to ask you about Ricky Miller. It's the one player I've been itching to talk to you about since uh, since we saw your team a couple of days ago or yesterday. Um an absolute enigma, isn't he? Um, he could score the most ridiculous goals. I remember watching a game live on TV in the National League where I think he scored a hat-trick in a 4-3 or something. He's just yeah. unplayable on his day. Obviously, a, a little bit of a different kind of character. And and that. What, why do you think it didn't really work for him when he went to a higher level? It couldn't have been to do with ability, could it? No, I think look, everything's down to luck, right? And I think, um, he, you know, as much as he's tried as hard as he possibly could, I think that was sometimes his downfall. Um, you know, he wanted it so bad that it would kind of almost like freeze him up when he was at Dover. He'd obviously try, you know, in the gym, like relentless, like squatting all day and just a little powerhouse. And then when he comes to it, he was relaxed. And that's when he really played his best football um, for me anyway. Um, he knew he was kind of our star man and that's where he flourished. Um, you know, maybe that'd been a challenge. I'm not sure, but um, that's only he can say. But yeah, he was just phenomenal playing with him. And he's, yeah, he's, just, he's a top lad. Um, yeah, hope obviously he can get back playing because um, I think it'd be a waste of talent. But yeah, we'll see. Um, and then through the middle, um, just probably the only person I played against because um, obviously put myself in there. But <laughs> um, but yeah, Andre Gray at centre forward. Um, I think when I played against him, um, he was just like just too much for defenders. And you can see like he's kicked on. He's playing obviously in the prem. Um, he was just ridiculous. His pace, his power. Um, his finishing. I think he's, he was basically the year before Ricky, when like Millsy went on fire, that he was that equivalent. He was just ridiculous. Um, ultimately fired to Luton to, to promotion. But yeah, he's obviously kicked on strength to strength. And I thought, you know, um, those boys behind him feeding him, he'd be, yeah, he'd be the man you go for. Um, quick, quick mention for the boys you got on the bench, Ross. Yeah, so um, Jamie Butler at Sutton. Um, when I was at Sutton the first year, um, he was my player of the season. He was ridiculous. Um, not the tallest, but his shot stopping, his kicking, he's, he's, yeah, first class. He could literally ping a ball from goal kick and I've, you, some would be in one-on-one. It was stupid. By the time he used to play on that, like Doz, Doz would get him doing that sort of stuff. But yeah, he was a good player. Um, and then Louis Fazakali as my um, sub defender. Um, I think he's so underrated just down to the fact of, um, again, he'd been at like pro clubs, kind of fell a bit out of love with the game, but... Yeah, well in for those two years. He was re- probably the best right back in the conference. Um, unfortunately, he got injured and kind of um, didn't really get back into it. But yeah, for those two years, his energy, his work rate, um, he was just, yeah, frightening. 
Um, then midfield, we've got Danny Green at Wildstone. Um, again, another mercurial talent. Um, probably one of the better technical players I've ever seen. He's just stupid. Like, they dunked winning headers. Yeah, he's, he's, he's very complete. Um, yeah, he could definitely be playing higher. Um, and then Pelly Ruddock at Luton. Absolute athlete. Um, everything in his locker, power, pace, technically sound. Um, and yeah, just kind of, you can see obviously why he's playing the championship. He had that from then. He was just a strong, strong player. And then Moza Emmanuel, um, played him pretty much like for four or five clubs. He's just top guy first and foremost, technically as a forward. Ball comes into the box, you know he's going to finish. Um, and yeah, he's just a solid, solid striker. Like he guaranteed gold wherever he goes. Um, and that's what you want as a, as a, as a partnership, you know. Um, but yeah, that'll be him. Be my be my guy, really, my team. Obviously, Tom, you've knocked up one of your quizzes again now. Uh, it's Ross versus Rob. Um, good job we've not got a timer on it because Rob took about three minutes to answer his first question last time, didn't he? So <laughs> <laughs> I don't know who. Well, you're the host. I'll I'll leave you to it. I'll just take a back seat and let you host the quiz. Can I just say, Tom tested me on these questions and I got most of them right. Just saying. Oh, cheers, mate. Cheers, mate. Cheers. <laughs> that, that, that happened. National League uh, player versus National League superfan in uh, the second edition of the quiz. It's currently 1-0 to the superfan after he beat Callum Reynolds uh, a couple of weeks ago. So, Ross Lafayette, on behalf of the Players' Union, let's see what you can do. Um, Question one. There are 10 clubs in the National League divisions inside the M25, three of which Ross has played for. Sutton United, Welling United and Wealdstone. But can you name the other seven? So Ross, I'll ask you for one, then Rob. And then when we get to seventh, whoever can think of it fastest, shout it out. Hampton and Richmond. Yep. Rob? I can't believe that. I can't believe you went for that. It's the only one I've written down so far. <laughs> yes, come on. Okay. Um... To be fair, I have been drinking out of a Hampton and Richmond mug all I was just going to say, I noticed yeah. your Hampton and Richmond borough mug there, Tom, very loyal. Cheers, your assist, Tom. Cheers, mate. Yeah, just, just, for, just for Ross's bet. Oh, you've probably told him already, haven't you? That he's now I'll leave the Google is, Rob. Any danger of an answer? Yeah. <laughs> I, was playing, I was playing for time there, wasn't I? Okay. Um, I'll go for uh, Bromley. Yep. One for Rob Warrell. Uh, Dawkins. No, talking are just outside. Oh, so, to Rob. Who's making the what, what? <laughs> <laughs> it's like that, is it? Oh, cheers. <laughs> I'm going to go for Dagenham. And yes. Of course. Back to Ross. They've, you've got two within about five miles of where you live. You're Rickmansworth, you said. Yeah. There's two within about five miles of your house. Oh, ball and wood. Yeah. As I write them down, Ross says them. Um, Barnet. Yep. So we've got two left, both in the National League South. Oh, oh, advantage, Ross. You'd think so. Watch Ross's head. Make sure he doesn't like go to his phone or anything, right? <laughs> Ross's wife stood just off camera with a list of them. Yeah. She's, cough, she's coughing, isn't she? Millionaire <coughs> like game show. Oh man, I can't think. No, I can't think. Okay, so I'll give you both a clue. Um, 
One has the highest average attendance in the National League South. And one, you think they are outside the M25, but they're just inside. Well, I go with Dulwich, Dulwich Hamlet anyway. Yep, correct. And then the last one is a Kent-based club. The only one I think is Maidstone, but they're outside, no? They are, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so Bromley has got to be somewhere near to Bromley, hasn't it? Um, no, I'll, nothing else from me, Tom. I'm done with that one. Who is it? Put us out of our misery. It's got a massive bridge, guys. Come on. Oh, Dartford. Yeah, not not giving anyone points for Dartford. Luke, you can have a point. Why not? Too big, too big a clue that Luke. Just give Luke a token point, and he'll come in the top three. Then, won't he? Okay, so for question two, uh, for the rest of the questions, basically, I'll invite one person to answer first, and then the other person still give an answer as well. So, question two, and there's a bonus point for this one as well. At the end of the season, Ross was the top scorer in the league for Wealdstone with twelve. But who was second top scorer for Wilson? And for a bonus point, how many goals did they scored? Rob first. Oh, no um, pressure, but I got this straight away. Then I told me in about two seconds, yeah. and I, my knowledge on the National League South isn't great. I'm going to struggle. I won't waste your time. Um, I, I, I don't know it. I don't know. Okay, happy. I like a man who's honest about about what he knows. <laughs> I'm, I'm Ross, Ross if you don't if you don't get it mate you're in huge trouble <laughs> I'm just, that's why I'm a bit panicked now um, I think Denon okay so Ross said Denon any guess on the amount of goals at the bonus point I think it was like 10 <sighs> close you got 11 There's one goal behind you yeah, that's right. So that's 4-3 to Rob at the end of uh, the second I got question. it because I thought you might be having a bet with him, Ross, and who scores more, do you know? Uh, uh, yeah, well, because the season's finished, I've actually won that bet. So, <laughs> but he's trying to, if, yeah, he's trying, still trying not to pay out as classic Denon. Because it's, cause it's void with you not having it, is that it? That's what he's saying, yeah. yeah. If we go up, then he's got to pay it. That's the rules. <laughs> to be fair, though, on a, on a goals per game, he's probably winning because he missed about a month of the season with Love Island, didn't he? That's true, that's true. But, yeah. That's very true. <laughs> no, that's true. only in there a week, actually. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> um, you didn't have a hand in that, because obviously you kind of in that field. Did you go, I know, I've got a good idea for you, Dan, and why don't you go on uh, Love Island for a month so I can... Uh... <laughs> yeah, that's it. No, um, bless him. We, had, we actually had a fine. Anytime he said Love Islands, or anyone said Love Island, it was a pound. You had to put in the kitty. <laughs> God, that so was a good night out, then. Yeah, exactly. For getting knocked out before the guy who plays the league below for Paul Town. Yeah, I know. We, we, yeah, trust me. He, he's, he's got everything. He's getting, he got slammed. It's brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Uh, okay, so question three then, which uh, we're back to Ross for the first answer. Which National League South club has the highest capacity stadium? And for a bonus point, can you name their ground? It's going to go with. I'm writing it down, Ross, so it should come to you. It normally does when I write it down. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to go with Maidstone. Is it the right one? We'll find out. Rob? Uh, well, I must admit, I was going to go with, with Maidstone and the, and, and the name of the stadium. We'll, we'll see if Ross knows if he's correct. Um, I'm going to have to go with a one a little bit out of left field. I'm probably wrong, but if, it, if it's not Maidstone or I can't go with Maidstone, I'll go with Weymouth. 
good shout. It is Bath City with a capacity oh, of 8,840. And for a bonus point for either of you, can you name their ground? Oh, it's not Stencil Bank, is it? No. 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 I, I'm not going to think of it offhand, no. Twerton Park. Twerton Park, yeah. Not been there, but it does sound very familiar, to be fair. Okay. Um, question four, back to Rob for the first answer. Only one club in all three National League divisions play their home match. It's outside their traditional home county. Who is it? In all three divisions, you say? Yeah. Um, uh, listen, with Ross's permission, uh, obviously, um, I think all three divisions is very tough, Tom. Can we, can, can we narrow it down to the division if Ross is happy? or? <laughs> I'm easy. I haven't got a clue. <laughs> uh, I got this. Can I just say I got this in in about five seconds, in I, Tom? So you did yeah. So don't okay, be, don't in be using that. <laughs> I'm going to change the rules then. So I'm going to make it a shout it out when you know it. They're currently in the National League North, but last season they're in the National League South. Gloucester City. Yes. They play their matches in Evesham. Oh, God, I've never got that. I've never played against them. That's fair enough, Ross. Fair enough. <laughs> okay, and then uh, <laughs> yeah. the last question then, which again, there's a bonus point available. Ross will be answering first. Wealdstone have all but earned promotion under Dean Brennan after he took over from Bobby Wilkinson in the summer. Wilkinson's new team have just finished sixth in their division, but who are they? Oh, my God. No idea. Um... Must be a southern team or something like that, a Ryman team. I don't, I don't, I don't know. No you've idea. Got, you've, got, you've got the league and the league right, yeah. I remember seeing the tweet, but I can't remember the club. I remember it being a Ryman team as well. Um, I, do you know, I'm probably wrong, but just so, rather than just say I don't know, I'll, I'll go with Kingstonian. No, Luke, Luke got it straight away. Uh, Bracknell, Bracknell Town. But I didn't get the league they're in. Yeah, it's Bracknell Town, and they're in uh, one of these leagues which has the ridiculously long names, which is, give it its full name, the Bet Victor Isthmian League Division 1 South Central. Oh, that's classic. Give, yeah. give, <laughs> give yourself a point, Tom. <laughs> to be fair, you can't, you can't manage that far down on Football Manager, so. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Give yourself no a point idea. just for managing to read that out really well without <laughs> stumbling, Tom, to be honest with you. Okay, so uh, final scores on the doors. Ross got a creditable three, but taking the lead uh, and, and the victory again is Rob Worrell with six. Absolutely demolished. Not as bad as 8-2, but well played, mate. <laughs> no. <laughs> well, you brought that up again, not me, but uh, yeah, exactly. no, cheers. Um, cheers. Can I just cheers, say at this point, if there's any players listening who want to come on and take on Rob, uh, we have got a couple yeah. of players maybe lined up in the future. So, but if there is any players, DM us on Twitter at an L full time and and come on, we'll interview you, and then you can take on Rob and and try and smash him. Good shout, good shout, and cheers, Ross, for taking part. You've been a great, a great sport, and uh, sm- you know, great to hear of, of some of those great players you've played with. And no, again, I appreciate the time. 
I've just got and, one more uh, question, Ross, before oh, yeah, right. go on. Then, yeah. Um, yeah, go on. Just uh, obviously in terms of looking uh, life after football because of sort of the thing that you're in, would, would you be looking at getting into sort of the journalism, punditry side of things as well? Um, yeah, potentially. Not something I've really kind of thought about, to, to be honest. Um, I've, I've been more on the sales side within media. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know if people would find me... Uh, not too boring, <laughs> no, no, no. Um, but yeah, like yeah, why not? You never know. Um, never say no, right? Um, we'll see kind of what happens. But um, yeah, never not thought about it. To be fair, well, Ross, just for um, you know, for, for, for something enjoyable. Obviously, you'll be busy with your other jobs. But uh, when the day comes, whenever that is, hopefully not till you're to forty or more. Um, <laughs> if we're still doing commentaries, uh, come and join us, uh, and we'll we'll cover an Aldershot game together. It's, some point that would be great definitely and I appreciate the invite so yeah for sure yeah so, uh, thank, uh, thanks a lot for joining us Ross um, good luck with the house move and uh, hopefully no see you going after the league next season that's it buddy I appreciate it well cheers guys thanks so much and um, yeah, have a good day this is a message from the government and the NHS about how to protect yourself and others from coronavirus wash your hands more often than usual for 20 seconds each time use soap and water or a hand sanitizer. When you get home or arrive at work, when you blow your nose, sneeze or cough, and when you eat or handle food. For more information, go to nhs.uk forward slash coronavirus. Protect yourself and others. Um, Yes, I was reading uh, last night about the EFL's vote to end the season. I think think everyone understands why, you know, they can't afford the testing that it's going to cost to get players out on the pitches. They can't afford the lost revenue. Um, I think it's, it sounds like a sensible decision to, to cancel the season at this point. Um, and they voted for promotion on points per game, which is something that we've talked about over the last few weeks. It's a model that everyone's familiar with now. But what I thought was really interesting and has huge implications for the National League is that they voted 20 clubs to four against relegation. So Stevenage, if that is ratified, would stay up. Mm. Um, which, considering the season they have, seems grossly unfair to me. But also would penalise whoever takes the second promotion spot in the National League. It's, uh, listen, I completely understand that the clubs will vote um, against the choices given to them. So that's not their fault. Um, I don't blame the clubs individually. But overall, it doesn't feel right. It doesn't seem fair. It's very, very naughty, to use a polite word. Um, it should be the other way round. You vote to finish the, game, the season on points per game. And then you stand by the results mm. of that calculation. You cannot, in my mind, and I can't see this being ratified, you cannot say we'll do points per game for promotion and have no relegation. Um, that will undermine the very fabric of what is the best pyramid uh, football tier system in the world. Interesting. I don't think the FA are too happy with that. It's kind of you either do points per game and then decide it or you null and void it. So... I'm staggered at how many teams voted against relegation, you know, because a lot of them, you'd think, if they're mid-table, they won't be that bothered, really. But I can understand you like your Macclesfield, your Stevenages, um, who else is down there, Crawley, teams like that voting against it. But for 20 teams, that's almost, well, it's nearly all the league, isn't it? So so we know that Forrest Green voted in favour of relegation. Um, Forrest Green's manager has come out and said, uh, that he doesn't believe that anyone should be promoting any division if there's not going to be relegation as well. Um, and that he knows that their chief executive put that forward at the meeting. 
Um, he, he even said, you know, you can expect this from Forest Green. They're recently out of the, na- the National League themselves. He even said he doesn't think it's fair on the clubs who put in the effort and the budget to get promoted to the National League to then be denied the, the, the chance to do so. So that means that at least, uh, so a maximum of three clubs in the top half of the league would have voted against rele- uh, in favour of relegation. So let's say Plymouth, Argyle, Swindon and Cheltenham are going up. Like, what is, why would those clubs not want relegation? It just doesn't make sense to me. Mm. Yeah, it does seem a bit of, Bit of collusion maybe going on, but uh, as, as, as I mentioned before to Ross, as I mentioned to Ross before, uh, the good thing for Barrel and Wheelstone is at least there probably will be to fill the very void. At least there'll be one promotion place in into the football league, which Barrel will likely to fill, and then obviously Wheelstone will fill that uh, gap that Barrow have left. But it is harsh on the teams below them because at the minute we we National League haven't decided whether the players are going to go ahead, so. They're waiting on this decision as well, aren't they? No, no, no qualms at all about you know uh, playing the playoffs. You know, whenever, whenever it's safe and reasonable yeah. to play football, the first couple of weeks can surely be dedicated to playoffs. That's a, a really logical, consistent uh, decision. But you can't be doing that, of course, if teams aren't getting relegated. And it just, it, 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 it's wrong. It's wrong. Well, let's call it out. It's wrong. And hopefully it doesn't get ratified. And uh, yes, I think we all feel the poetic justice that Barrow will probably get given the promotion to replace Berry, but that doesn't make things fair for Harrogate or Notts County, does it? Or, or Yeovil or, or, or Halifax or anyone else that, that might be involved in the playoffs. There's basically no point playing playoffs, is there, if, if, if you're not going to have relegation. Exactly. And I think what this has also really shown is that people will act in their own self-interest. And we know that. We know that on a personal level, um, you know, uh, a self-employed hairdresser might have decided that they want to go to work irrespective of whether it's sensible or not because they need to pay the bills. So the government takes their decision out of their hand and says, you can't go to work. That's what competent authorities do when there's a decision which is going to be too difficult for people to not put self-interest first. So why are football authorities putting that decision out to the clubs? Because they're obviously going to vote in self-interest. What the football authorities should be doing is consulting the clubs, seeing what is a good, what, what they think is a good idea, and then saying, right, this is our decision. By being a club in our league, you've signed up to following our rules and regulations. This is our decision. And the other thing I think which is important is this can't be allowed to happen again. Um, FIFA should be making a ruling now that if, say, for example, 66% of the season is played, then the season stands, points per game, relegation promotion. If under 66% is played, and I'm just pulling that number out in air, yeah. then the season is null and voided. They can't allow it to be in the future if this happens again. Every league making its own decision, and it's, it's just a mess. Great point. Completely and utterly concur. And the only, you know, debatable part of it is is what amount. Um, I'm with you. Sixty six percent, seventy percent, whatever. Uh, what I will say is, um, I do, I do. I know a few managers have criticised it and said like, why the National League consulting with the clubs? But I think it's good actually that the National League have gone out and consulted the clubs rather than do sort of like the Northern Premier League where they've just kind of gone to the FA, well, we want this to happen in the FA, have gone, okay, without consulting clubs below and they've just null and voided it. I think it's good that they've actually consulted the clubs and said, 
what do you want to happen? You've got a general consensus and you can work from there. I know they've been criticised for it, but it's as we keep saying, it's unprecedented times. There's no, Brian Barwick said the other week, he's like, we can't look back and go, oh, this happened uh, when it last happened because it's never happened before, mm. apart from a world war. And again, that was different circumstances. Damned if they do, damned if they don't. Mm. But let's not forget um, there, there, there are legalities involved and uh, that's, yeah. that's probably the chief reason why the National League and any league really have gone to their clubs because if they if they you know if their clubs agree to something in particular and they can't really then take them to court but if the yeah, national I mean, league had then just gone and made a decision sorry Tom if the national league had just gone and made a decision without consulting the clubs everyone would have gone well why didn't they consult the clubs so I, I agree with consulting i don't think the way the football league it seems to be that the football league and the premier league that the clubs are driving it as opposed to the authorities whereas i think the national league actually i think they struck a good balance they're consulting mm. I also think the fact that they they are delaying the decisions is probably the best thing to do. I think it's now looking more and more like actually steps three to seven, they probably jumped the gun yeah. in saying we're completely null and void in the season because we're starting to get to a point where, yeah, fine, leagues can make their individual decision about whether to finish or whether to stop. But there seems to be a consensus really from the Premier League all the way down that promotion relegation kind of has to take place. But then it's just going to stop at step two, uh, and I think that's it. Doesn't look very good for step three to seven, and you know as we've talked about before, the likes of South Shields, uh, Jersey Bulls, clubs who had pretty much won their leagues already, and now going to be playing same division next season. There was news out of Chester SC this week that Stuart Murphy, who'd been helping with donations at the Fan Old Club, had severed all ties with the club and had a little bit of a spat with the Labour MP for Chester, Chris Matherson. Myself and Dickie caught up with Dave Powell of the Chester Chronicle to find out more. So, Dave Powell, uh, thanks very much for joining us, first of all. No, thanks for having me, guys. Uh, so just tell us a bit more about the situation that's broke over the last week. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, um, it's just to, to kind of start from, from the beginning. Is, um, Stuart uh, was a sponsor a couple of times in the previous years, Um also, when we were Chester City, but he's, he's been a sponsor, uh, stadium sponsor since the club's reformed. Um, and in May 2018, he kind of came back in the scene and pledged this £1 million donation to the football club. Um, and he said it was bequeathed. He said he'd never see the money again. Um, it was given to the football club. And the idea behind it was it was supposed to be there for the infrastructure of the football club. Um, so to enable us as a fan-owned club with um, limited ability to to build up enough capital to 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 push forward with with infrastructure projects to um, build an extension to the club bar to and just add additional revenue streams. I mean they're they're crucial for a club a fan-owned club like Chester. Um, but we are now two years down the line. I mean we have had a certain amount of that money has been spent. It's been brought forward, but from my understanding, it's been money which is on top of the one million pound donation which was supposed to be. Um, so about £600,000 is the figure which Stuart himself quoted. Um, uh, whether it's kind of slightly under that is, is, is still up for, for debate, but um, some of that money has been used to, it's not simply a case of adding um, X onto the budget for wages, it's, uh, it, it's gone to a number of things. So increasing to the hybrid model um, for this season, um, which has involved more contact time with the players. Um, then they did a pre-season trip to Newquay. We've signed a couple of players, uh, paid transfer fees, Quasi Santi and John Johnston. 
Uh, and then we may, when we got relegated uh, to 2018, uh, a couple of big contracts needed paying up. So this all adds up um, and, and you kind of get to the situation where you've spent that money. But in terms of infrastructure projects, we've still had nothing. So um, moving forward to now, it's uh, obviously we're in this midst of this crisis and just Mr Murphy had... Uh, uh, previously he said he didn't want to own a football club and he'd said this uh, even as recent as uh, November last year when he presented this vision for a sports village complex uh, on the land surrounding the, the Diva Stadium um, and even so much so he renamed the bought the naming rights of the stadium called the 1885 Arena um, but then there's been a change attack in recent weeks and it's um, it's kind of been building up to a uh, a point which has been almost inevitable. Um, it felt that, um, that that Mr Murphy was going to approach the board and say, I want to take full control. Um, and his viewpoint on that was to push forward projects relating to this sports village, which he didn't think um, the board would be able to do quick enough or deliver on. But um, all it's done is kind of it created a, a big fracture in the fan base. Um, he claimed... Um, it, 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 support from Mr. Matheson, uh, Chris Matheson, the Chester MP, who had been uh, kind of broadly in favour of the, the scheme, uh, the Sporting Village scheme, because anything that generates additional revenue for a city, you'd, you'd be massively interested in. But um, he was kind of linked with support for his takeover bid. Um, so whether those two wires have been crossed, I don't know. But Mr. Matheson sort of certainly thought that uh, Mr. Murphy had used his name as um, as kind of uh, as weight in the argument for him taking over the football club. Mr. Matheson says that's not the case. He thinks it should remain fan owned. Uh, and, and Mr. Murphy's uh, stepped away. Um, it was announced on I think it was Monday this week. But my understanding is that it was Friday. It was kind of uh, the decision had been made, and then he backtracked on the Saturday only to, to change his mind again on the Sunday. So it's all been a very messy state of affairs. I mean, is there any sort of suspicion of sort of he's put the money in and he, he's not too happy about where it's being spent so he kind of wants to keep his, his hand on, on everything and go, well, this is the money, this is what I, this is where I want it to go and I'm keep my eye on it and things like that. Um, an element of that, I mean, initially it was supposed to be, uh, this million pound donation was supposed to be given in three tranches, so um, over a three-year period, and he was going to bring in some people, uh, some of his own team to kind of help the, the thing move along, which is understandable. There was a non-executive director appointed to the board called Paul McDermott um, to, to kind of speed things along, but that Actual £1 million for infrastructure, um, my understanding is that the money which was actually been received for the club was things that Mr Murphy actually was willing to donate on top. Because even at the start when we first met him, he was saying that um, the £1 million could turn into far more. I mean, the scheme he was hoping to deliver at the Sports Village was millions and millions and millions of pounds and would require significant investment from from, from outside investors. Um, I think a lot of... Mr Murphy's vision for what he wanted for the sports village hinged on the football club um, also being successful on the field. So obviously, uh, when we came into the National League and on the back of a financial crisis, uh, National League North on the back of a financial crisis, we um, had a very limited budget. We had big liabilities on the wage bill and all this needed to be dealt with. Uh, and then obviously we went part-time, then we moved to a hybrid model. So he's kind of helped bring up to a really competitive level, um, be able to sign players like Aquasi Asante and, and George Glendon and, and John Johnston, albeit pay transfer fees for those players. The, the conversation around fan ownership has, has kind of been bubbling in, in the background in terms of Mr Murphy's involvement. Some people were saying as soon as he started to have 
kind of a say and and we seem to lean on him all the time for support for financial support when it's bringing in players um there's always a bubbling question of would he change his mind um and when these plans for this sporting village were presented in november it seemed like a matter of time that um, he, he would show his hand and um and, and and try and push this along but it's it's been met with um kind of a mixed reaction but largely from um, people who didn't really appreciate the, the timing of it um, and kind of uh, it, it soured what was um, a, a really kind of it seemed from the outside a, a positive relationship that the club had with Mr Murphy. And, and is the club sort of in any immediate financial danger because of this decision now or is it kind of a bit of a worry amongst the fan base? Um, not really, it's, it's a difficult one. I mean it, it, I think there's always the assumption um because we are fan owned and we have uh, our income is stream is heavily linked to gate receipts, and that we are um, going to be one of the teams that are really facing the, the kind of off the precipice of this whole thing. But in some cases, the actual opposite is true. I mean, as a fan owned club, we have no no debt against us. We have no um, we can't we have no borrowing facility uh, as a society. The players' contracts were all up uh, in the summer. Um, the club has a cash reserve of um, around a hundred thousand pound, which is still, as I understand it, largely intact. Um, it's been helped massively the past. I mean, and it will help hugely. The the furlough scheme, which the government have um, in, implemented, will probably be a lifeline to, to many clubs, not only teams like Chester, but um, so some of those guys that they have on two-year contracts, and, and none of them are on exorbitant wages. It's um, it, They are covered under the furlough scheme till October, and by such time, they're hoping to have some kind of revenue streams in place, and it gives fans a chance to try and raise some more funds. But I, don't, I think as a fan-owned club, um, because you have no, no, no debt and it's... Uh, Everything's paid up, and you, you, you're not relying on an individual. I mean, there's going to be football clubs up and down the country who's under private ownership, whose owners have got their own business interests, who are taking a real hit on this, and it's just going to suffer madly and badly. And I've tried to say to anyone who'll listen, I mean, the landscape of football, um, I think, will be forever changed after this whole period. Um, certainly, um, non-league level, National League North level. Um, lads getting fifteen hundred pound, two thousand pound a week. Those days are, um, by and large, probably going to be gone. Um, I think you're going to be carrying smaller squads where um, lads are going to be on less money. But I actually think the quality will improve um, because you, the days of your Morecambe under twenty threes and your uh, Crawley Town under twenty threes, those are probably going to have to get knocked on the head sooner rather than later. And um, it's going to have to be a. It's almost pulling it back to what it was like in the eighties and nineties with the smaller squads and you have your youth teams and your ITS schemes, but. Um, as for carrying 30 senior professionals, I just don't see that being viable for clubs uh, in the Football League, or, nor indeed non-league football. I guess from my point of view, that, that uh, as a you know somebody who's involved with Telford, we've been in a, in a similar situation and this whole thing around fan ownership and, you know, do we stick with that model? Do we move away from it? Um, how are your fans feeling about this? I think you've sort of touched on it there, that obviously there's a strength in the fan ownership model, particularly with the situation that we're in. Um, you know, whatever post COVID nineteen, but I know that there are also some supporters who who were very much of the view, and and they were with my own club that you know if you can attract an investor, then they want that because they they see that as being the only way that you can really progress. Yeah, and and that, I get that argument. You know, for um, I think when when we started as a fan owned club, the incline was so steep 
three promotions in three years. Um, and it very much seemed like this, this model could achieve um, the Football League. And, and, and I think it's like with Chester, it's like any, it's like your Yorks, um, Stockport, anything like that. Any team which has had a Football League history, however um, potted and however unsuccessful, um, people have been, I mean, only have to look back. I mean, I shared a picture from CFAX um, 25 years ago and it was Chester against Bournemouth. And in that league, there was Hull, Brighton, Swansea, Fulham. Uh, and people look at these clubs and although we were never on that level, the fan base has never been that big to sustain that. But because um, you were once part of that kind of um, group, I mean, the, the fans still yearn for that. I mean, and there's a generation of fans who've never experienced anything other than non-league football. I think people just, um, they get sick almost of treading water. I mean, so we get to the National League after three years, then we kind of stagnate. We stagnate quite badly, actually. I mean, to the point where you, you start the season and you're expecting not to be um, competitive. Um, we in one summer we even had the managers saying, "Yeah, the, the goal to the, to the players, the first day of the training when all players assembled, it was get to 49 points. That's the goal this season. You, and you have to sell a dream. We probably did about four or five years of not doing that, um, and that's obviously led to the decline. And if anything, the past two years in the National League North have probably been more enjoyable than the previous two in the National League. Um, purely because you're competitive I mean, you go into a game anticipating that you'll be competitive and, you, and there's a good chance you'll win um, or, or at least be in a shout with, of getting the three points whereas in the National League you, you kind of you were writing off trips to, to Dover and Dagenham as just long trips for nothing really um, but there is still that brings with it now um, because we've had a taste of signing players like a quasi Asante and, and spending some money and, and trying to achieve success it brings a notion that that's the only way to do it, but I don't necessarily subscribe to that. Um, I think that, uh, yes, it's, the more money you have, the, the easier it is to attract players and get deals over the line. But as I was saying, I think the, the market will change massively. Um, and there will be a lot of players at work who will be, you, you know, be, be playing for a lot less money and the spots on squads will be a lot, you know, far fewer. So um, it's going to be interesting times. But, for a section of the fan base, it was, um, it's been quite dogged and determined and resilient in, in not wanting to uh, give away fan ownership because once it's once you give away this, it, it, you won't get it back again. It's um, mm. it's kind of uh, it, it, it'll be gone, you know. It's uh, uh, and I just think for the for many people, the, the unwillingness of Mr. Murphy to share a business plan and forward plan and future plan and what it would look like um, was. Uh, it just never felt viable. But what it has done is um, kind of forced um, City Fans United, who owns the Chester Football Club under the Fan Society, to, um, they're going to have to look at themselves now in terms of how can we do things better? Um, how can we raise more money? How can we operate um, on, on a higher level to give the managers a bigger budget and, and be competitive and, and give people reason to dream? Because ultimately, if you don't do that, then you, you may as well uh, close the doors and shut up shop. It's uh, uh, They've got a five-year plan for to what's to come, um, which they will present to the fans in the coming coming weeks and months, um, which I've caught a glimpse of a kind of a rough draft. And it looks, it's really promising. There's a lot of good things in there with, with kind of the community at its heart. So it's hopefully... Um, Personally, as uh, I mean, I'm a, I'm a lifelong Chester fan as well as being fortunate enough to cover the football club. Um, it's I, the right decision was made for me. It's um, it was almost kind of uh, opportunism masters altruism um, in the end. Um, however, kind of harsh that may seem, but it, that's how it felt. It was uh, uh, the relationship they had with Mr. Murphy at the start um, wasn't the same one that they, they had at the end, and that's um, 
a big shame. But it's uh, it also felt like it wasn't a sustainable model to be relying on on, uh, on handouts. I mean, it's uh, if football's going to survive, it's going to have to uh, stand on its own two feet and and and, and kind of fund itself and that's what the football club has to be, be more savvy at moving forward Yeah I know Chris Matheson's come out and said um, he's going to start buying shares himself and he needs to get more involved it's kind of giving him a kick up the backside in that way as well um, in terms of the joint managers um, I know when Mr Murphy put, first put the money in I think did they sign new was it two or three year deals was it two years um, when his first arrival um, they did sign two year deals at Chester yeah. but since um since the summer, well, since the turn of the year, they signed you uh, two and a half year deals, which take them through. That nothing will be affected on that. Um, yeah, from, I was going to. I was going to say, was was the plans for that? To, to obviously, is that why they're saying sign the long term contracts? Because maybe it, you were going to go more full time with his money. Or was that always the case anyway? That you were going to go hybrid and maybe build yourselves up again? I think um, the best kind of uh, kind of model that you can follow is maybe Stockport. I mean. Spent a good few years in the National League North. Um, they had to do the part-time thing. They moved to hybrid. Now they've gone up and they're in uh, the National League. And, and the next step for them is full-time football and, and mm. getting back to what Stockport County used to be when I was growing up. They're a massive club. But like any manager wants um, the biggest budget that they can possibly have because it makes attractive players easier. I mean, any manager that says otherwise is lying. But they... Also, um, when they joined the football club, it's worth remembering that they joined prior to Stuart Murphy announcing his involvement. So they were well prepared for a very small budget with massive liabilities on it that they needed to shift. Um, and we still were, we were competitive um, even despite that and put together a, a pretty good squad um, despite the, the limited resource. But um, it's going to be almost, it's going to feel like it's taken a few steps back next season for them, which will be, um, frustrating for him, no doubt, but I think in the wide scheme of what's happening um, um, around the world and with sports in general and, and, and football, I, I think that many clubs are going to have to be doing the same thing. There's not going to be, you know, yet, just like I said before, there's not going to be um, massive money floating around for these lads next season. It's um, it's about who is. Maybe it's a case of um, almost better the devil you know with a lot of teams. I think you might see a lot of core groups remain. Um, when otherwise they may have got split up because managers won't know some players. They want to see some players for eight or nine months after all this. Um, so, but they'll know their own squad and they've been keeping tabs on their own squad's fitness. So I think um, some lads who may have been released previously from clubs may find themselves staying there. Um, but that's just me, kind of uh, pure guesswork at this moment. But in terms of us moving forward, we've got the managers on um, for another two years. We've got... Uh, some assets tied down like Brad Jackson, Joel Taylor, George Glendon. Um, and from my understanding, the budget the club projects next year, they um, expect to keep um, all of these lads as a nucleus for what will be a, a, their squad next season. Um, it might mean that they have to have kind of slash divvy up the, uh, the rest of the budget more creatively. But I think in terms of a core group, they've got about seven or eight who were, who were very strong to build on. And I think... Uh, but you know, it, it's going to be a pretty level playing field next season. And they've really, they've really embraced the football club, haven't they? I mean, the way that obviously, certainly Anthony Johnson is on Twitter. I like the fact that he asks, he asks fans to ask him questions, even after a defeat. He won't hide from it. Fans, I've seen fans go on and question his tactics, and he looks and he's explained what's happened or why it didn't happen. And I find that really refreshing because some managers could just kind of tell the fans to do one, couldn't they, if they ask questions like that? 
Yeah, and and that their their candor is one of really sticks out. I mean, I, I've I've had to I've worked with managers who um, refuse to um, either take the blame or allow the players to take the blame. But they are always candid. They speak from the heart. Um, sometimes it, it kind of you know it always surprises me when people say same old excuse. They, they don't make excuses really. They they, they kind of call a spade a spade, and I always think that's something that can't be levelled at them. Having watched the documentary with Salford, they're not the people who are perceived on there. I mean, television doesn't do them a, a service, really. I mean, they're, uh, um, they're two of the most kind of genuine people you, you could meet, really. Um, and they're very kind of down-to-earth. They work tremendously hard. They know their stuff. Um, they're clever. Uh, they know their football. They've got good contacts. And... Uh, none of that shines through, you know. So I've seen him on the training ground. I've seen how they operate. Um, I've seen how um, they get the buy-in of um, experienced players who played hundreds of games in the football league, even though their careers span non-league football. You know, it takes a certain person, certain character, to be able to overcome that boundary for some people. I've heard Gary um, Roberts say that as well on a podcast. He said they're the best managers he, that he's worked under, and he's been at Port Vale, Crew, Mansfield. Yeah. Yeah, Gary Gary Roberts is a one of one of life's real characters. Um, takes a certain manager to uh, to get the best out of Gary Roberts as well, and they have done as well. To be fair, I mean, last summer um, they were always wanting to offer him a deal, um, but they had to give him the carrot of uh, working for it to make sure he he looked after himself during the summer. Um, didn't get into to uh, to any beer gardens that away, and he came back absolutely flying and he was um, in terms of distance covered over the past season I think he was third highest and for someone who um, is advancing in his uh, in his years um, uh, it's quite something and he's someone who really is bought into what they're all about it's it's very much a, um, a siege mentality that they, they have going there and it's um, the, the team spirit is, is absolutely phenomenal I mean, I'm, and I'm just gutted that they weren't able to see this season through and, and try and achieve something this group because as a group of people they're, 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 they're fantastic uh, excellent, Dave. Well, uh, thanks very much for joining us and uh, we'll speak to you if there is any more developments regarding Chester FC. Look after yourself. Yeah, yeah, and yourselves, guys. And that was Dave Powell and, and that is it. And guys, thanks very much for joining us. So uh, many thanks to Ross Lafayette. Don't forget to subscribe to us on iTunes and Spotify. And as I say, give us a follow on ATNL Full Time. And if you're a, if you're a National League player, in the North South or the Premier Division, and you want to beat Rob, get in touch and let us know, and we'll get you on. And uh, you can get your quiz hat on. Until then, stay safe, stay alert, and look after yourselves. And we'll see you all very soon. <laughs>